Welcome into the Sunday Recap. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. Uh, Ariel and Mitch, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're here. <laughs> we are here. I was just, I, w- I like to gauge your enthusiasm and then notch it up about yeah. five. And then and I went a little, in. I went a little less Squidward that time. So you had, you had to go a little <laughs> higher than normal. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, uh, this morning we get a chance to talk through the first uh, sermon in the I Am series, mm-hmm. uh, talking about John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. What a crazy um, statement that Jesus makes here, and I can't wait to dig into this and talk about it with you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. So before we jump into that, Mitch, could you tell us just a little bit about student summer camps? Because signups, signups are lives right now. They right? are live. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yesterday morning in the wee hours of 947, <laughs> camp signups went live. That's the wee hours. No, not really. But, <laughs> but it is in the church for, world. For me, it's, you know, I've been up a bit, but not too long. But nice. yeah, so we, we put the camp signups up yesterday. Middle school camp is in Trafalgar, Indiana. Yeah. Same camp they've gone to a few years in a row. Same group of churches, super cool, small story. I actually grew up going to camp with these churches when I was a middle schooler. Oh, really? So it has a little sentiment even to me personally. One of the guys who's still a youth pastor was a youth pastor when I was a student, which is amazing. Very, very cool. So that's June 7th through 10th. Again, that's in Trafalgar, Indiana. You can sign up online at stonescrossing.com slash students. And then high school camp, they are going back to Cleveland Tennessee. Oh, so switching it up from Michigan last year, we're going to Cleveland, Tennessee. This means whitewater rafting's back. I believe this also means air conditioning in the dorms, Ah. which will be um, very, very well received. That makes all the difference. And people will love it. And that is June 5th, or sorry, that is July 5th through 10th. So those are the two camp dates. You can go to stonescrossing.com slash students. You can sign up. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to Pastor Luke. If money's an object, talk to someone. That's right. You know, I, I think camp ministry is so important. I mean, I honestly, I, I don't know about if you guys went to, do you guys go to camp? Oh, oh yeah. 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 Loved I, it. I actually became a Christian at camp. Yeah. Um, like that was, that was where, I mean, I, I, I started going to church my junior year of high school, got a lot of my questions answered, but camp, that camp experience was um, like, it changed my life. Yep. Absolutely changed my yeah. life. So that's awesome. Yeah. It loved camp. Yeah lived for camp <laughs> all about it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i profess christ for the first time at camp too yeah yep. definitely Big so deal. well i didn't but that doesn't mean mine's less important you just need that's a right <laughs> you're, you're still saved mitch it's okay yeah. but you got to walk out your salvation amongst other through camp yes <laughs> that's so cool well yeah if you have a student at home uh sign up for camp or uh talk to luke about if you have questions about it so that's awesome well, today we get to talk about John 14. Uh, this is a really fascinating part of uh, the Gospel of John because it's it's part of a larger section that um, that is really it's called the Upper Room Discourse. So it's this section where Jesus and his disciples are kind of sharing this um, this evening together. It's There's the Passover meal that, that's going to be involved in that. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. There's all this teaching and prayer that take place. And so this is all between John 13 all the way to 16. And so you see this, this whole, this four-chapter section that's really just laying out this incredible time that they're having together. Um, and right in the middle of this is John 14, 6, where Jesus makes this really, I mean, let's just be honest here. This is 
uh, an, what, what would you call it? A audacious, audacious. audacious. I, I was, that was the word I, was I thought it was of, on the tip of your tongue, but it was, I was not able to say, it. yeah, but audacious statement. Like I am the way, the truth and the life is, is, is what he gets to. Now I want to dig into that in just a little bit, but let's start over at verse one and start to walk through this. So, uh, would someone read that? Let's just, would, would you read verses, uh, just one through six? I can do that. Thanks. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Awesome. Yeah, so right at the beginning, he jumps out of the gate. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. So this is Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. They're in the upper room. Why would his disciples be troubled at this point? Well, they are back in Jerusalem, correct? Yep. Yep. And they hadn't planned to go back to Jerusalem because that's where everybody wants to kill Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they are, um, they're, I don't know if you would say they're hiding out, but they're probably laying low right now to have this celebration or this Passover feast together. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to build on that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I don't want to steal Chris's moment because as we prepped, you know, before this podcast, Chris had a really good observation about verse one. Mm-hmm. Share it with the world, Chris. What, I, what, wait a minute. What did I do? <laughs> you don't remember your observation? <laughs> what <did I> say? <laughs> the thing from, from uh, chapter 13. Oh. How Jesus oh. said, <laughs> yeah. I'm teeing you up, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? No, okay. So what, what I thought was interesting is just, just a little bit before in chapter 13, verse 21, um, Jesus is troubled. It says that Jesus is troubled. It says, um, after, saying these th- after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Mm-hmm. And that was right after he had just washed their feet, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so that's a big reason why maybe they would be troubled. Um, mm-hmm. They're like, yeah. wait a minute, um, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah. you look troubled. <laughs> yeah. So I just think that's a really interesting connection that I haven't seen, so thank you. Thank you, Mitch, for teeing that up for Christmas. So I think it's really good because, again, um, I, let not your hearts be troubled. If if you take that as a command, mm-hmm. um, let's say a command versus a encouragement. I, there's probably a better yeah, word for sure. it, but like an explicit command versus an encouragement. But if you if you make it a command, like do not let your hearts be troubled, well, I mean, some people, you know, would say, I trying <laughs> like <laughs> like and i get this is within the context of this narrative but they would say i'm working really hard to not let my heart be troubled but yet it still feels troubled yeah, yeah. and so i think when you when you try to understand what this may mean in light of the entire um the entire context of the passage and you see that well jesus's heart was troubled yeah well there's a you know there's then you can understand that it's not so much about the emotion that you're experience, experiencing, mm-hmm. you know, in the context of whatever circumstance you may be in, or even the circumstance they may be in in this, it's about not letting their hearts be troubled because there is a factual grounding 
that kind of circumvents the experience that they're going through. Yeah. yeah. And good. I think that's really helpful for interpretation. So that's why I thought it was such a cool thing to point out because I think some people, you might be, you know, hearing that verse this morning and you're like, I'm trying not to let my heart be troubled. Right. And I don't feel like I have the capacity <laughs> to not feel the way I do. At yeah, the absolutely. That's great. Thank yeah. I mean, you. they had so much that they could have been or, or, or probably should have been worried about at this moment. Right. So they were, Jesus was about to be betrayed and, um, just before this too, uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter that Simon was going to betray him as well. Mm. And so everyone's probably just like, man, this whole thing is falling apart. What is going on? And I think this is so like, so, um, true of us in some ways, because I think for Christians, we have the, we have an ability to on one side, be very, um, have our eyes opened to the different things that are going on around us. And, and we can, we can safely say like, we can be worried about those things. We, we, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like there, there are problems that exist and our eyes are open to those problems at the same time. Like you're saying, there's a truth and a hope that is there that, that we need to lean into as well. And so, and, and that's where that not being troubled Mm -hmm. really is. I, I found this quote from, um, James Montgomery Boyce, he talks, he, he has a short commentary on, on the gospel of John. He says this, he says, Christians are realists. That's what he says. They're, they are realists about all of life's problems. And at the same time, we must add that they are realists about the power of God and his promises. And this means that although there is cause to be troubled, nevertheless, there is even greater cause not to be. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's on the money. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really good. So, yeah. So how might this relate then to, you know, when we look at the troubles that, that they're dealing with um, and Jesus' uh, exhortation to them to not be troubled, how should we approach this as Christians as, as we're dealing with worry, anxiety, all sorts of things like that? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to, I don't, I want to be sensitive to um, reading this passage appropriately and it being a narrative yeah. um, and not trying to just extract like some principles straight from it. Right. But I do see um, I do see a pattern here in this passage that's helpful for the way that we can process when our hearts are troubled. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing we see is that, you know, all right, there's the encouragement to not be troubled. This idea that we know that foundationally we probably shouldn't sit in a place where our hearts are troubled forever, <laughs> you know, yeah. or for long. The second thing we see is that um, Jesus begins to kind of tell them about the promise that he's given to them, you know, that I, that there is a place for you, that there's this eternal security that you have in spite of what's going on in your problems, which is, that that is great. And sometimes for me, that's enough to go, you know what, like on the other side of heaven, like this is, you know, this is going, sure. this is going to be enough for me. But, but what really matters is the third thing that Jesus does, where Jesus says, what is the foundation for the hope that we have in eternity? Mm-hmm. And it's himself. Mm-hmm. So, so then he turns to say, here's, here's even the greater reason why you should not be troubled because I am the way, Yeah, you know, I, I am the truth and the life and your faith is in me. Right. So, so there's this eternal security that is great and is super helpful, but the eternal security is founded on the personhood of who Jesus is. And so mm. I, it, this passage is not about presenting us a pattern. It's a passage about presenting us who Jesus is, yeah. but I do think it is helpful to think about that pattern when you're working through troubles in your own life to go, you know what, I'm going to register the circumstance that I'm going through. As Chris said, that being a realist, there is this trouble before me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to recognize the eternal security I have in spite of the circumstance I'm going through. But even more than just hoping for the good gift of heaven, 
I'm going to realize the person um, who is foundational to the security that I have in heaven, right. and I'm going to put my trust in him because yeah. he's active and he's alive and he's and he's working in this. I just think that's great. That's a great segue because this is um, this is a series all about getting to know who Jesus is based on his own words, right? So we are really leaning into that. And I think that um, having just these facts that we can replay over and over in our mind if we're going to be a realist about mm-hmm. the things going on around us, um, that's so crucial to getting through day-to-day is to rely on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I feel like I just came up with a three-point sermon alliteration unintentionally there. You did. There you go. We got, you've got to be a realist. You must be finishing you've seminary. Got, you've got to recognize <laughs> <laughs> the eternal hope you have. And then what was the last one? Rest. You got, yeah, you have to rest. <laughs> and the per, you got to realize is what I said, but rec, you got to rest in the person who Jesus <laughs> is. Uh, uh, you can take that last one and credit me as the anonymous yeah. staff member <laughs> <Yeah>. again. <laughs> nice. Well, in practical terms, though, how does faith in the Father actually alleviate some of that worry? I mean, I mean, what does that actually do for? Like, I mean, because we've sort of said like that's what the antidote is, you know, and, and that's what Scott said on Sunday. He said the the key to a troubled, free heart is faith in the Father. But what does that actually then do for us? How does that how does that actually change our 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 worry into uh, non non worry, you know, mm-hmm. or our our troubledness into non troubledness? What does that do? Practically, it gives us a different perspective um, yeah. that we see that they are light and momentary afflictions, as Paul says, instead of this is the end, right. this will be the end of me, um, which is really easy to do mentally, mm-hmm. is to, to see something in front of us that's very um, difficult and to say that that's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, it gives us an eternal yeah. perspective, but we go back to that a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to be brief, and I know I'm not going to, so I apologize. <laughs> but um, So... When Derek was giving a sermon about a year ago, um, I forget he was giving the sermon, and, and on Thursday he was giving it to our staff. And I remember having this visual um, that what he was talking about is is it's as if people come to church sometimes and they have a book bag of all their troubles on, mm-hmm. and then they'll take their book bag off to like sit down for an hour, and then they'll just put the book bag back on and they leave. Mm-hmm. But what Christ offers is really to like leave the book bag at the feet of the cross. Yeah, you know, to like to understand that He's carrying this trouble for you. Okay, now this is where I get less brief. So I had a really cool interaction <laughs> with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really cool interaction with um, my my grandma um, on Friday night. My grandma is someone that I would probably say for most of my adult my, most of my life I would not believe she was a believer. Mm. Um, but my grandma has MS. She's had MS lifelong. Has battled with MS. Friday night, they came over. Um, we had dinner. We've not seen her in a year because she's not seen anyone. And finally, she's had her second shot. It's been two weeks. You can see people now. Mm-hmm. So we're having dinner, just talking to my grandma. JC and my grandpa are upstairs looking at this shelf they're building. And as I'm talking to my grandma, um, she begins to share this story with me about a lady who pushed her to church um, on Sunday morning when she was in a rehab facility a couple months ago. And as this lady's pushing her to church, they go to church. My grandma doesn't really want to be there. Again, she's not somebody that really would profess to be a believer. And at the end of the church service, um, the lady's like, all right, now it's time to go to PT. You know, let's go, Barb. Let's go to PT. And the lady and my grandma said to her, I don't want to go to PT. I would rather die. She goes, I just don't want to do it today. Mm. 
And the lady said to her, she said, well, you know, you don't have to go through PT alone. And then she says back to the lady, she goes, you just need to give that over to God. And she goes, why would I give anything over to God? I've not talked to him for my entire life. And the lady says, well, he's been there the entire time. So my grandma prays to God. I'm going to keep the story short, but a lot of things line up where I think my grandma might actually have a faith in Jesus now through this lady kind wow. of showing her the present opportunity for her to submit her pains before God. Oh. Yeah. And her posture, her presence, the way that she the way that she was explaining relationships and things was different than I've ever heard her explain them before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfulness for caretakers you know, the way she was thinking about other surgeries, it was it was as if her perspective was shifted because she recognized that there was a person that could carry her through the troubles of this life. Right. So a, a long example to say, I think that is what we're offered in Jesus. Yeah. Um, that when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, that our perspective shifts. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is, in a sense, what it truly means to walk in this truth that Jesus is the way yeah. that we can put our troubles in him and now we can go through, you know, the PT of our life, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and deal with those things. Wow. So, very wow. cool. Very Dude, cool moment Friday night. It was awesome. That. Very incredible. awesome. That's awesome. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Well, the second thing that Scott talked about is uh, that we should trust Jesus with our eternal future. This is really digging into verses two through four of this, of John 14. And here he says, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, this is just interesting because, you know, he's talking about the troubles that they're experiencing now. He tells them to trust that, you know, believe in God, believe also in me. But then in verse two, he Jesus puts their perspective on then eternity, which is what we've kind of been already alluding to. But he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told. Uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And that, that right there is what I think just blows my mind. Is that Jesus says, "Look, I'm going to prepare a place specifically for you, mm-hmm. for you." Mm-hmm. There's a there's 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 this like personal nature to this relationship where he knows you. And he's going to go and prepare this place for you. As we look through the Bible at different passages that talk about the future, talk about heaven and the new heavens and new earth, what are some things that then get revealed to us about who God is that helps us to trust him even more here and now? I think of um, the attributes that we see that you know may not be words that are found in the Bible, but are words that we have attributed to what we see in the scriptures of mm-hmm. him being transcendent. So mm-hmm. we know that he has been before all things and he will always be. Yeah. And um, and so we don't have to worry about him going away and that that inheritance and that future dissipating. Yeah. Um, I think we also see just incredibly personal love um, that is faithful, like that said that we talked about yeah. um, a couple weeks ago, um, that is steadfast and doesn't rely on any of our works, that it will always be, goes along with the transcendent, mm. um, and that he's omnipotent. I know that he will not be thwarted. You know, we see here that Satan entered um, Judas. We know that, you know, while the devil, the enemy was trying to thwart God's plan, it cannot happen. Um, and so this future that he prepares for us is um, is eternal and it is steadfast as well, yeah. as well as his love. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I tend to think it just about the restorative nature of God. Um, yeah. You know, Scott Scott really was mentioning kind of, you know, God making all things new in Revelation mm-hmm. um, yeah. in this picture that we're given. And, and I often think of, like, our our incapacity to completely restore things and our inability to really make things new. Like, even in medicine, like, we're just kind of band-aiding things together, <laughs> you know? And we're, we're figuring out the, like, we may be able to create an artificial knee, but it's not as good as your real knee, you know? And there's, <laughs> it's, that's kind of, that's true across all things. But see, what we're offered up in God is that, you know, we might talk about any conversation that the gospel speaks into, say, like, racial reconciliation. Well, there is no true reconciliation apart from God. And God, as the great, you know, reconciler, like, is going to restore all things to their intended relationship on, you know, in heaven. Um, and so God's going to restore restore the earth. You know, as we might burn through all our natural resources here on earth, guess what? You know, God has the capacity that he has endless resources. And so I, I, think, I think that's what I often think of is, that, like, the personal nature of this and then in the macro sense that God is constantly restoring things. Um, and he is the only one that is completely capable of doing that. Right. Yeah. Totally. That's good news for people who are physically dying. We know, like like what you were saying with the healthcare, even if we are able to restore someone to health, eventually they will die, you know. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But in, in God, we are forever. It's just, yeah. it's amazing. Absolutely. Good word. I love it. I think too. I mean, I just recently read through and uh, did a study on, on Isaiah, mm-hmm. and looking through Isaiah, we see how much um, the future, the new heavens and new earth, is going to be marked with justice and righteousness yeah. and peace and trust. Like, like trust is a big thing. I mean, I, I think we've said it here on the podcast before, but like, you know, we live in houses with locks on them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like. So we don't even, I mean, we don't even begin to, we can't, I don't think, begin to even understand what it means to live in a world where it's marked by trust. You know, we just, we, we don't, we don't understand that. Um, and this, I think, all just reveals the character of God, that God is just, and mm-hmm. he's righteous, and he is merciful, and he, um, and he loves every type of person, like, like what Scott brought up about, like, how every, people from every tribe and tongue and nation are going to be there. Like, there's... There's no one type of person that can claim some kind of superiority mm-hmm. over another, you know, and, and we just don't live in a world that does that, <laughs> you know. Um, and so all of this gives us this, this bigger picture of who God is that then fill, I, I think fills us with so much hope mm-hmm. for the future. Uh, and, and again, I think gives us that perspective mm-hmm. that, that we're all really longing for when things go crazy in our world, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so one, one thing that I was thinking about this too was with Abraham, um, think about like, like Abraham's story when it comes to finding his home, right? Um, Abraham was called by God out of his, you know, family, uh, from Ur of the Chaldees to come to the land of Canaan. God promises him in Genesis chapter 12, like, here's the land. I'm going to give you and your family this land. And Abraham never really got the land. The only bit of land that he got was his grave mm-hmm. uh, by the end of the story. Um, it's not very funny, but thank you. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, but this is what I love. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 is such a helpful passage because, you know, Scripture interprets Scripture. So Scripture, later Scriptures helps us un- to understand what's going on in those earlier passages. 
And Hebrews 11.10 says this. He's talking about Abraham. He says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't, you know, he wasn't disappointed in the, in the idea that he didn't have his, um, didn't have the land and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But that, but what he, the author of Hebrews is telling us is that he, he trusted God and he was looking forward to what was coming. And I think that's, that's where we are too. That's, that's where our hope is. Yeah. I was just reminded, Chris, you were talking about, um, you know, in the, in the last couple of weeks, we were looking at the word like citizen, you know, mm-hmm. I think, I think a word that kind of helps us understand this is this, this language of being, you know, a citizen of the kingdom, yeah. um, but also this language of being an ambassador, you know, and understanding that what is our present state and our present reality then, you know, where we, we are members of this kingdom, this kind of already, but not yet, you know, version of the earth. Yeah. But then at the same time, um, we're going through these troubles in our life. And I think it's, it's, as you're saying, it's that longing for a home, you know, that even we kind of see with Abraham that, you know, that he never, he never really experiences, but this longing for an eternal home in spite of our present circumstances Mm -hmm. that I think, um, I think is, is really the perspective that we're trying to gain to where we don't put all our hope and trust in the other things of this life. That's right. You know, the things that we can control right around us, that we recognize that those things, you know, they're, they're, they're futile to the, to the bigger vision, which is this kingdom that we're offered in God. Let's go ahead and get to verse six. So um, he says, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. This is a incredibly exclusive claim (laughs) here. And it seems to fly in the face of everything that our culture right now wants to believe, especially in regard to things like relativism. Uh, which I think is one of the most pervasive worldviews that we have right now in our world. Um, really quick, for those that don't understand what what relativism is, could could, could you, we just unpack that a little bit? What is relativism? How does it uh, sort of play itself out in our world right now? You've probably most commonly heard it referred to as it doesn't matter what you believe, the kind of all roads lead yeah. to heaven, you yeah. know, as long as you're a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from a religious perspective, yeah. then it's like, it plays out in that religious pluralism, like right, yeah, totally. Right, yeah. what's good for you may be different than what's good for me. Right. I'll live my truth; you live your truth. Right. Yeah, and say so it's the kind of the you do you. You do you. Yeah, yeah. like the you do you movement, and I'll do me, and we'll all be we'll all be happy. Right. You know, Absolutely. until you rubs against <laughs> me, and <laughs> it yeah. blows up. Yeah, then it blows up for sure. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that it kind of does blow up is because. You know, the last, I'd say the last 20, 25 years, there's been a popular relativistic bumper sticker that, that floats around. It's the coexist uh-huh. bumper sticker. You probably, you guys have probably seen that on cars yeah. and things like that out there. Okay. So the, the coexist bumper sticker, I think is an interesting statement when it comes to relativism, because what it's saying is, you know, there's all these different religions that, um, that are in the world. And so we need to learn to coexist. We need to learn to uh, almost affirm one another in the mm-hmm. things that we believe. But the problem with that is that all of these religions each make an exclusive claim about their own religion. Right. So so they're they're all kind of saying the same thing that we we're, we're the only way. And yet, 
you, then you have under this whole other group that is this relativistic coexist group who are saying, no, 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 no. Uh, actually, none of you are really the right way. You're all just trying to get to the same place of just, uh -huh. and in, in most cases, it's higher morals. Everyone's just le learning to be a better person, be a better human type of a thing. And that ends up being how they water down all of the religions into, into one thing, you know? So really it's a, it's attacked for no religion at the end of the day. Yeah, it kind but, of is. But yeah. So Jesus comes forth here and says that no one comes to the father except for me. This is the exclusive truth claim of Christianity. And it's coming from Jesus's words. And, and it's, it's offensive, I think, mm -hmm. to the way yeah. that our, that our culture um, views things at this point. How do we how do we approach this with with people who maybe are steeped in the worldview of relativism and help them to see you know this is this is what Christianity is actually teaching? I think that at the core of each of us, we really do want some absolutes because when we come down to like justice, we think about things like that. We yeah. we want an absolute justice for what we think is right and wrong, and you get that in Christ because. He is perfect justice. Mm -hmm. And um, and when you draw a line in the sand, we, you and I had to talk about this the other day. Actually, I think Mitch was with us. Um, when you draw lines, people get upset because then somebody's on the wrong side of the line. Yeah. And nobody wants to admit that they're on the wrong side of the line. Mm -hmm. It takes deep humility to say that. Um, and I think when we get to um, unpacking Christ, you see that we're all on the wrong side of the line, but we're invited to join him in his eternity mm -hmm. um, and in his justice. Um, I, 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 I No, I think yeah. what you said, I think what you said is, is the direction that I would go with this too, um, yeah. is, is the recognition that I think um, what we really desire, and I'm not just making, I'm, I'm saying you ask people what they really desire. At, at some point, there's a breaking point in their mind of what they think is right and wrong. Yeah. Um, it may be more loosey-goosey than what Scripture says, but they have a breaking point of what they think is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, if we're leaving the determinant to say what is right and wrong up to ourselves, um, recognizing that, you know, <laughs> they think I'm right, they think they're wrong, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, um, the vice versa, they probably think the other way, they're right, I'm wrong. Right. But... If they think that way, um, then we're recognizing that's a flawed system. But see, what we're offered in Jesus's claim, and Ariel, you brought up this really big word earlier that's important for this is transcendence, is that the determinant of what is right and wrong, the determinant of what true justice is, um, isn't only found in, in in a person who makes the claims, but a person that is the truest expression of those things. Mm -hmm. And so we need to look to a source outside of ourselves to decide what is absolutely true and what is absolutely right and what is absolutely wrong mm -hmm. because we're incapable of doing those things ourselves and i think we would recognize that nobody nobody wants to say leave it up to the murderer to determine what his punishment's going to be mm -hmm. you know in the legal mm -hmm. system mm -hmm. um and, and they would say that i think people would people would say no i would never want that well so what you truly want then is justice and even deep down in your own moral understanding, you think you're fighting for true justice, but you don't have the capacity to, to determine that yourself. Right. You have to look to a source outside of yourself, a source that's transcendent, to determine for you what true justice is. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's where the incredible gospel opportunity comes in, because this is how the gospel speaks into our current age, yeah. is the reality that we are offered in Christ the true justice that we desire that we can't create apart, we can't create ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so by trusting in him, we are, again, looking for this future hope 
we're promised an eternity where these things are no more. That's right. And so I think I think while our while our culture thinks they're actually trying to make things better, what they're really doing is leaving it up to themselves, and mm. they don't have the capacity. Deep down, they don't have the capacity to figure None that out. None of us do. No. None yeah. of us do. No. Right. And I think that's the big issue. Is like we have to go back to the fall and recognize what was actually lost there. Because at the fall, we we lost our – I mean, let's break it down in, in these three terms. Uh, we lost our communion with God, okay? Mm-hmm. We lost uh, our ability to to really know truth from God, right? So, so all of that was broken and shattered, and we try to rely on ourselves to, to understand truth. And we also lost – our, our life, like, I mean, he said, on the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And not only do we die spiritually, but we die physically. And so there's there's death that takes place there. And so what is the antidote to that? It's through Jesus. He says, I am the way. I am going to bring you reconciliation for that communion with God. I am the truth. I'm going to bring you illumination so that you can have truth from God mm-hmm. again, you know, and that I am the life. I'm going to regenerate you. I mean, what does he say in John 3? That you must be born again, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so so those three things then, the way, the truth, and the life, those are the, the, the gifts that God gives back to us but what was, for what was lost in the fall. Ooh, I just had a moment. That's so good. <laughs> no, no, I think it's on the money, and, and and we might be getting a little preachy here, but I think this is preachy. Let's let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about this, because because uh-huh. I think our common tendency with somebody that um, thinks different than us, someone that we may define as worldly, or someone that we may say you know they have a rel- relativistic line of thought. Yeah. Um, our tendency is just to go tell them where we think they're wrong. Yeah. And not even not even in their kind of worldview but tell them where they're wrong with the specific issue mm-hmm. as if that's going to solve the problem, yeah. you oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we have a tendency to go to them and we may say that, Hey, what you think about gender, that's wrong. And right, here's right. why this is right. And we want to attack it with all these things outside of the real problem, which is that they have a worldview that's not recognizing that Christ is the only opportunity to offer what is truth, right. what we can stand on. And so we're trying to attack it by kind of playing the culture war instead of trying to attack it by having the spiritual battle, mm-hmm. which is recognizing that your foundation for your truth will not stand. Right. Christ, right. Christ is that foundation. That's why, so, I lo- that's why I love there's – a, there's a book out there um, by a guy named Greg Kokel. He's, a, mm-hmm. uh, he's an apologist out of California, um, and he, he uh, basically has said it this way, like, look, you're never going to argue someone into heaven. Mm-hmm. That's never going to work, um, and so the, what he the strategy that he takes is to ask good questions, and asking those questions, uh, wh- the way that he puts it, it puts a stone in their shoe that they might be able to uh, realize that their worldview is inadequate, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So, so and and just to just to give you, I'll uh, you know, I'll give the book away here. So, um, <laughs> but he gives you basically two questions to ask. He says he wants you to ask a clarifying question. Mm-hmm. Just ask a question like. Okay, well, unpack that for me. What does that mean? Or, or I heard you say this. Is that what you meant by that? You know, things like that. Some sort of clarifying question. And the second one is a, well, why do you believe that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Those two types of questions, if you can ask those questions, what he says is that like 95% of the people that you talk to won't be able to answer those questions. 
just because they haven't really thought through their worldview enough mm -hmm. to be able to articulate them. And what that does then is if we ask those questions, they start to doubt and question their own, own worldview and look for something better. And that's actually a good thing. Because mm -hmm. then at that point, you can actually present to them as a, as a friend, as a family member, you can present to them in a loving way when they're ready for it, the, the way, the truth, and the life mm -hmm. at that point. And I'm going to be a little pushy here, but I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves that we need to ask ourselves those same questions of the foundation Ooh. of our faith. If, if, Bring it home, Mitch. If, if, we're sit, <laughs> if we're sitting across from somebody at the Thanksgiving table and we're really frustrated with whatever viewpoint they may have, but we're just frustrated because we think we know what's right. Yeah. But it's not necessarily grounded on scripture, you know, whatever it may be. And we're and that is our well, they're wrong and this is right because this is what I believe to be true. Mm -hmm. But you're not asking yourself those own those same questions of why do you believe those things to be true? Mm -hmm. And are they foundational on the truth of scripture or are they foundational on something else? Yep. Then you're playing into the same game That's right. that they are. So so and I've been talking with Ariel a lot about this. I'm not gonna get specifically in the details, but I really believe that we need to be careful in just fighting the cultural battles. And what we really need to be fighting is the spiritual battles of what is the foundation of our faith. Mm -hmm. Is the foundation of our faith our beliefs, meaning the um, the ethical issues and what we should think about them, and every you know all Christians need to think the same and act the thing, same, and society needs to be the same? Right. Or is the foundation of our faith Jesus Christ and the truth? of who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And if those things are foundational, then that's the lens in which we live our lives. Yeah. But we need to make sure that's what we're doing. And we're not just getting caught up in the culture wars to where we can't actually answer the same questions we're asking somebody mm -hmm. else to. Cause really, I mean, that's just modern legalism, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's actually kind of leads us into our last question here, because I think that, that, that this is one way, what you're talking about here, asking ourselves those same questions mm -hmm. is one way to kind of help us to grow and to think about those things. But what else can we do to remind ourselves of God's great strength and God's promises when we feel overwhelmed by the world? How can we kind of get ourselves regrounded in those things? Um, help us, what, what do you guys do to help to reground yourself in that? I have one that I, that I have done before, and then I have one that I would like to try. Can okay. I throw both of them out? Sure. Okay. Um, and they're both scriptural, as I'm sure you guys are probably, yeah. So um, I really love the the book of Hebrews. Mm. That's just one of my favorite books. And, um, and I think that when you read that book, you see just how much better Christ is and how he fulfills all of our longings um, and everything that's wrong um, from the fall. And, uh, and that just provides so much hope. Um, so you get a really good picture of who Christ is. I would really like to um, dig into the Psalms mm. and and just see who God is based on on poetry. That's Absolutely. a little bit more of that gray area that I'm not as familiar with. Yeah, I like the black and white, you know. Um, and so uh, I think that that would be a great a great next step for me. But totally. Hey, about you there's guys? a there's a plug right there for it Brian is. O'Malley's Psalms class. Yeah, yeah. I was so, say that. yeah. <laughs> that's was great. Absolutely, that. it's a good class. Though. I mean, mm. yeah, really, really good. But so, awesome. so for me, you know, one of the things that, that I, I, I've been working to grow in in the past couple of years is I've been doing these spiritual formation classes of Biola. But, and it's maybe where the heart for a lot of my questions come from. They're not just to say, well, make sure you know what you believe, but is taking stock of my life 
and recognizing what are the voices that I'm letting speak into me. And so in the spiritual formation world, they, they call this developing a rule of life, which is really just taking stock of your time, <laughs> you know, and where where are you spending your time? What are you doing? And recognizing that um, you are being formed into something. Um, and are you being formed into Christ's likeness? Are you being formed into being a disciple of a thing of this world? And so for me, um, you know, a, a practical example of this was in the middle of quarantine when I was trying to keep up with all the stats and I've talked about all that, what was going yeah. on with the virus yeah. and, and you so, were off the chain there yeah, for a little yeah. bit. So, so I switched it up and I said, okay, what am I doing with this time that could help me grow in Christ's likeness? Well, I decided to read through, um, you know, like, like I read through the Psalms. I started reading through, you know, okay. Lamentations. I start. I started to look and say, "Where's my spirit at?" And how can Scripture speak to me in, the, in these moments? And so, yeah. taking stock of of where, what are the voices that you're letting speak into you, mm-hmm. right? And then working to replace those things with Christ. Yeah. Um, I think is in Scripture is foundational and community and asking other people, "Hey, what are they seeing you placing your stock in?" Um, and just being more aware of the tendencies of our flesh um, to dive into things that are outside of Christ and replacing Christ with those things. That doesn't mean that you're sitting there with the Bible in front of you, you know, every moment of every day. Yeah, yeah. But it does mean that you begin to see the world through the lens of Scripture versus the other way around, which is kind of a part of what you're doing. I think what you said is so important to have people around you that could actually speak that mm-hmm. kind of truth into your life because let's just, I mean, to say it bluntly, not everybody has that. Mm-hmm. You know, and as I think that that's something that maybe we need to be more intentional about seeking out friendships and people around us that would be honest with us and uh, care enough about us in order to to be able to point out our our, our, our failures <laughs> in some ways. Yep. Uh, but that's a that's a that's a great relationship. But it's and tough in a one gentle and a restorative way, yes, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. I think I think what happens for me is I start to realize sometimes that either the things that I'm fighting for, the things that I'm diving my time into, that the root of them isn't always Christ. Sometimes it's my flesh, yeah. and I repent of that, and then I try to turn to say, "Okay, God, what are, what are you wanting me to walk in this right. now?" You know, one of the ways that. Um, that I've been really growing in right now and trying to kind of capture this idea of being like reminded of God's strength and his promises is praying back scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that um, I was exposed to quite a bit years ago, but sort of like, I don't know, sort of fell off the radar a little bit and I'm getting back into it right now. And it's what I think is fascinating about it for me is, is that one, it forces me to remember scripture Mm -hmm. because as I'm praying and I'm like, Oh yeah, this, this passage. So I'll look it up and then I'll pray that back. But even even uh, being able to pray it out loud is sort of like saying saying things out loud. It it, it helps even reading scripture out loud. Um, for some reason, it, it helps me to remember it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes it um, sort of inculcated into my life in a different way, and especially praying it out in that way uh, sort of drives that into my heart in a different way. And I think um, I think the more that I do that, the more that I'm just reminded of of who God is, what he's doing for us, and this hope of heaven that we have. Um, I mean, it, it's it's been a really good practice for me over these last, I'd say like the last six months or so. But. Well, we hope that this conversation was helpful for you today as we've talked about John 14. Um, you guys, I'm excited for the rest of the series. We've got, um, I think there's, there are seven I am statements, but we're only doing six of them. Is that right? Because oh, that seems weird. What? It's what, a little strange. Which one is getting left out? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> but it's all right. But all of them are, are so good, and then I think each one is going to reveal more about who God is 
uh, to us. So I'm, I'm excited for the rest of this series as we get going in this. Um, hey, if you have any questions about the things we talked about, reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you. You can find all of our email addresses on stonescrossing.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Sunday Recap. See you then.